Welcome to the Perennials Podcast Book Club. I'm Victoria Russell, and you're listening to Chapter 34 of Anne of Green Gables by L.M. Montgomery. After the chapter reading, you'll hear a conversation between me and my good friend, Melissa Adamo. In addition to being one of the most loyal Perennials listeners on the planet, Melissa is also a longtime lover of Anne of Green Gables and a college writing instructor. So it's particularly appropriate that Melissa is joining me to talk about Anne starting out at Queens College um, to become a teacher. Melissa and I talk about transitions, our own experience of starting our freshman years of college, and also ambition. If you really enjoy the episode and you want to hear Melissa and I talking about another iconic story that we love, you can listen to episode 12 of the Perennials podcast where we talk about the TV show Gilmore Girls. Enjoy. Chapter 34, A Queen's Girl. The next three weeks were busy ones at Green Gables, for Anne was getting ready to go to Queen's, and there was much sewing to be done and many things to be talked over and arranged. Anne's outfit was ample and pretty, for Matthew saw to that, and Marilla for once made no objections whatever to anything he purchased or suggested. More, one evening she went up to the East Gable with her arms full of a delicate pale green material. Anne, here's something for a nice light dress for you. I don't suppose you really need it, you've plenty of pretty waists, but I thought maybe you'd like something real dressy to wear if you were asked out anywhere of an evening in town, to a party or anything like that. I hear that Jane and Ruby and Josie have got evening dresses, as they call them, and I don't mean you shall be behind them. I got Mrs. Allen to help me pick it in town last week, and we'll get Emily Gillis to make it for you. Emily has got taste, and her fits aren't to be equaled. Oh, Marilla, it's just lovely, said Anne. Thank you so much. I don't believe you ought to be so kind to me. It's making it harder every day for me to go away. The green dress was made up with as many tucks and frills and shirrings as Emily's taste permitted. Anne put it on one evening for Matthew's and Marilla's benefit and recited the maiden's vow for them in the kitchen. As Marilla watched the bright, animated face and graceful motions, her thoughts went back to the evening Anne had arrived at Green Gables, and memory recalled a vivid picture of the odd, frightened child in her preposterous yellowish-brown wincy dress, the heartbreak looking out of her tearful eyes. Something in the memory brought tears to Marilla's own eyes. "'I declare my recitation has made you cry, Marilla!' said Anne gaily, stooping over Marilla's chair to drop a butterfly kiss on that lady's cheek. Now, I call that a positive triumph. No, I wasn't crying over your piece, said Marilla, who would have scorned to be betrayed into such weakness by any poetry stuff. I just couldn't help thinking of the little girl you used to be, Anne, and I was wishing you could have stayed a little girl, even with all your queer ways. You've grown up now, and you're going away, and you look so tall and stylish and so, so different altogether in that dress as if you didn't belong in Avonlea at all, and I just got lonesome thinking it all over. Marilla! Anne sat down on Marilla's gingham lap, took Marilla's lined face between her hands, and looked gravely and tenderly into Marilla's eyes. I'm not a bit changed, not really. I'm only just pruned down and branched out. The real me, back here, is just the same. It won't make a bit of difference where I go or how much I change outwardly. 
At heart, I shall always be your little Anne, who will love you and Matthew and dear Green Gables more and better every day of her life. Anne laid her fresh young cheek against Marilla's faded one and reached out a hand to pat Matthew's shoulder. Marilla would have given much just then to have possessed Anne's power of putting her feelings into words, but nature and habit had willed it otherwise, and she could only put her arms close about her girl and hold her tenderly to her heart, wishing that she need never let her go. Matthew, with a suspicious moisture in his eyes, got up and went out of doors. Under the stars of the blue summer night, he walked agitatedly across the yard to the gate under the poplars. "'Well, now, I guess she ain't been much spoiled,' he muttered proudly. "'I guess my putting in my oar occasional never did much harm after all. "'She's smart and pretty and loving, too, which is better than all the rest. "'She's been a blessing to us, and there never was a luckier mistake than what Mrs. Spencer made. "'If it was luck, I don't believe it was any such thing. "'It was Providence, because the Almighty saw we needed her, I reckon.' "'The day finally came when Anne must go to town.' She and Matthew drove in one fine September morning, after a tearful parting with Diana and an untearful, practical one, on Marilla's side at least, with Marilla. But when Anne had gone, Diana dried her tears and went to a beach picnic at White Sands with some of her Carmody cousins, where she contrived to enjoy herself tolerably well, while Marilla plunged fiercely into unnecessary work and kept at it all day long with the bitterest kind of a heartache, the ache the ache that burns and gnaws and cannot wash itself away in ready tears. But that night, when Marilla went to bed, acutely and miserably conscious that the little gable room at the end of the hall was untenanted by any vivid young life, and unstirred by any soft breathing, she buried her face in her pillow and wept for her girl, in a passion of sobs that appalled her when she grew calm enough to reflect how very wicked it must be to take on so about a sinful fellow-creature. Anne and the rest of the Avonlea scholars reached town just in time to hurry off to the academy. That first day passed pleasantly enough in a whirl of excitement, meeting all the new students, learning to know the professors by sight, and being assorted and organized into classes. Anne intended taking up the second-year work, being advised to do so by Miss Stacy. Gilbert Blythe elected to do the same. This meant getting a first-class teacher's license in one year instead of two, if they were successful, but it also meant much more and harder work. Jane, Ruby, Josie, Charlie, and Moody Spurgeon, not being troubled with the stirrings of ambition, were content to take up the second-class work. Anne was conscious of a pang of loneliness when she found herself in a room with fifty other students, not one of whom she knew, except the tall, brown-haired boy across the room and knowing him in the fashion she did, did not help her much, as she reflected pessimistically. Yet she was undeniably glad that they were in the same class. The old rivalry could still be carried on, and Anne would hardly have known what to do if it had been lacking. I wouldn't feel comfortable without it, she thought. Gilbert looks awfully determined. I suppose he's making up his mind here and now to win the medal. What a splendid chin he has. I never noticed it before. I do wish Jane and Ruby had gone in for first class, too. I suppose I won't feel so much like a cat in a strange garret when I get acquainted, though. I wonder which of the girls here are going to be my friends. It's really an interesting speculation. Of course, I promised Diana that no Queen's girl, no matter how much I liked her, should ever be as dear to me as she is, but I've lots of second-best affections to bestow. I like the look of that girl with the brown eyes and crimson waist. She looks vivid and red-rosy. There's that pale, fair one gazing out of the window— she has lovely hair, and looks as if she knew a thing or two about dreams. I'd like to know them both. Know them well. Well enough to walk with my arm about their waist and call them nicknames. 
but just now I don't know them, and they don't know me, and probably don't want to know me particularly. Oh, it's lonesome. It was lonesomer still when Anne found herself alone in her hall bedroom that night at twilight. She was not to board with the other girls, who all had relatives in town to take pity on them. Miss Josephine Barry would have liked to board her, but Beechwood was so far from the academy that it was out of the question. So Miss Barry hunted up a boarding house, assuring Matthew and Marilla that it was the very place for Anne. "'The lady who keeps it is a reduced gentlewoman,' explained Miss Barry. "'Her husband was a British officer, and she is very careful what sort of boarders she takes. Anne will not meet with any objectionable persons under her roof. The table is good, and the house is near the academy in a quiet neighborhood.' All this might be quite true, and indeed proved to be so, but it did not materially help Anne in the first agony of homesickness that seized upon her. She looked dismally about her narrow little room, with its dull papered pictureless walls, its small iron bedstead and empty bookcase, and a horrible choke came into her throat as she thought of her own white room at Green Gables, where she would have the pleasant consciousness of a great green still outdoors, of sweet peas growing in the garden, and moonlight falling on the orchard, of the brook below the slope and the spruce boughs tossing in a night wind beyond it, of a vast, starry sky, and the light from Diana's window shining out through the gap in the trees. Here there was nothing of this. Anne knew that outside of her window was a hard street, with a network of telephone wires shutting out the sky, the tramp of alien feet, and a thousand lights gleaming on stranger faces. She knew that she was going to cry, and fought against it. "'I won't cry. It's silly and weak. There's a third tear splashing down my nose. There are more coming.' I must think of something funny to stop them. But there's nothing funny except what is connected with Avonlea, and that only makes things worse. Four. Five. I'm going home next Friday, but that seems a hundred years away. Oh, Matthew is nearly home by now, and Marilla is at the gate, looking down the lane for him. Six. Seven. Eight. Oh, there's no use in counting them. They're coming in a flood presently. I can't cheer up. I don't want to cheer up. It's nicer to be miserable." The flood of tears would have come, no doubt, had not Josie Pye appeared at that moment. In the joy of seeing a familiar face, Anne forgot that there had never been much love lost between her and Josie. As a part of Avonlea life, even a Pye was welcome. "'I'm so glad you came up,' Anne said sincerely. "'You've been crying,' remarked Josie, with aggravating pity. "'I suppose you're homesick. Some people have so little self-control in that respect. I've no intention of being homesick, I can tell you.' Town's too jolly after that pokey old Avonlea. I wonder how I ever existed there so long. You shouldn't cry, Anne. It isn't becoming, for your nose and eyes get red, and then you seem all red. I had a perfectly scrumptious time in the academy today. Our French professor is simply a duck. His mustache would give you corwallops of the heart. Have you anything eatable around, Anne? I'm literally starving. Ah, I guessed likely Marilla load you up with cake. That's why I called round. Otherwise, I'd have gone to the park to hear the band play with Frank Stockley. He boards same place as I do, and he's a sport. He noticed you in class today and asked me who the red-headed girl was. I told him you were an orphan that the Cuthberts had adopted, and nobody knew very much about what you'd been before that. Anne was wondering if, after all, solitude and tears were not more satisfactory than Josie Pye's companionship when Jane and Ruby appeared, each with an inch of Queen's color ribbon, purple and scarlet, pinned proudly to her coat. As Josie was not speaking to Jane just then, she had to subside into comparative harmlessness. "'Well,' said Jane with a sigh, "'I feel as if I'd lived many moons since the morning. "'I ought to be home studying my Virgil. "'That hard old professor gave us twenty lines to start in on tomorrow, "'but I simply couldn't settle down to study tonight. 
and methinks I see the traces of tears. If you've been crying, do own up. It will restore my self-respect, for I was shedding tears freely before Ruby came along. I don't mind being a goose so much. Somebody else is goosey, too. Cake? You'll give me a tiny piece, won't you? Thank you. It has the real Avonlea flavor. Ruby, perceiving the Queen's calendar lying on the table, wanted to know if Anne meant to try for the gold medal. Anne blushed and admitted she was thinking of it. Oh, that reminds me, said Josie. Queen's is to get one of the Avery scholarships after all. The word came today. Frank Stockley told me. His uncle is one of the Board of Governors, you know. It will be announced in the Academy tomorrow. An Avery scholarship. Anne felt her heart beat more quickly, and the horizons of her ambition shifted and broadened as if by magic. Before Josie had told the news, Anne's highest pinnacle of aspiration had been a teacher's provincial license, class first at the end of the year, and perhaps the medal. But now, in one moment, Anne saw herself winning the Avery Scholarship, taking an arts course at Redmond College, and graduating in a gown and mortar board, all before the echo of Josie's words had died away. For the Avery Scholarship was in English, and Anne felt that here her foot was on her native heath. A wealthy manufacturer of New Brunswick had died, and left part of his fortune to endow a large number of scholarships to be distributed among the various high schools and academies of the maritime provinces, according to their respective standings. There had been much doubt whether one would be allotted to Queen's, but the matter was settled at last, and at the end of the year the graduate who made the highest mark in English and English literature would win the scholarship, $250 a year for four years at Redmond College. No wonder that Anne went to bed that night with tingling cheeks. I'll win that scholarship if hard work can do it, she resolved. Wouldn't Matthew be proud if I got to be a B.A.? Oh, it's delightful to have ambitions. I'm so glad I have such a lot, and there never seems to be any end to them. That's the best of it. Just as soon as you attain to one ambition, you see another one glittering higher up still. It does make life so interesting. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Victoria. I'm super excited to be talking about Anne and to be talking about her with you. When I asked people to have like to do the reflections with me, I kind of was like, I'm going to leave it to the universe to give the right chapter to the right person. And it's going to happen. Like I just (laughs) trust it's going to happen. And so far it has. And I feel like this is really perfect because you are a college instructor who works with so many freshman students. Yeah. (laughs) So you work with all those like nervous first time students. So I feel like this was a really good chapter to talk about with you. Yeah. When I read it today, I was like, oh, this is about me. <laughs> I know this. is about my life and my people. And it's <laughs> exciting to look at it with that lens too. Yes. So before we get into it, let's do the little lightning round. What is your relationship to Anne and the series? Is this your first time reading and listening or did you read the books in your childhood? So I read them a lot in my childhood. I didn't get through all of them because I think there's eight. They're downstairs. I could go check, but like I think there's eight and I read maybe about half or I got toward the end. Um, I think when they stopped following Anne as much, I stopped caring as much, but I read them a lot and I read or I watched, was it a mini series? It was a mini series for TV. Yeah. So, and I rewatched that a bunch. So in my childhood, Anne was a really big figure. My middle name is Anne, but not with an E, and it was the bane of my existence, (laughs) and I was very mad at my mom for a very long time. (laughs) And then, I think it was 2018, Netflix put out their show, and so I reread it as an adult. 
So I've already kind of done that reread that probably some of your listeners are maybe just doing it now with you. I forgot one, how many years the book was, right? I think they had said we're up to like four years right now. Yeah. So uh, I forgot how long she was mad at Gilbert. <laughs> it was, I guess, four years um, or I think longer. It's five now. I think they're sixteen <laughs> yeah. in this chapter. True. Yes, they are sixteen now. And I was, I think, too, like as an adult and someone who is like learning more about like politics and my viewpoints. I was super surprised about Marilla and like Rachel and just how politics kind of came in, like their xenophobia or any of their very conservative views and like Anne's feminism and some of the teachers like feminism or Miss Allen's feminism that kind of comes up. And then now it's been so nice listening um, because I haven't been like reading along. I've just been listening and hearing them chapter by chapter. So which is how she first published it, I think, Mm. um, in this serialized way. So going slowly has been super eye-opening too. Because I think those were like my main takeaways from the reread. And now I feel like I'd have so many more, right? Because it's Mm. so much slower and I read fast. And I think I do everything in my life kind of fast. (laughs) Like I always, I'm always going and I'm always, you know, having a to-do list and checking it off and those kinds of things. So it is really nice to slow down with Anne and like particularly like your voice of Anne also your voice of all the other hilarious characters like <laughs> but but also just yeah like pausing with those nature passages that I probably would have read faster right if it's just like me reading on my own and pausing with the reflections too have been interesting because now like seeing Marilla and Matthew and like the adult characters, like I'm paying way more attention to them this time around, or even how adult and wise Anne is, Mm -hmm. both when she's young and like as she's growing up now. So I've had lots of different Anne experiences (laughs) and they're all like beautiful and wonderful in different ways. So you could always kind of keep diving into this book and finding more, which is great. So which character in the book do you identify with or relate to the most or are there certain parts of several different characters you relate to a lot? I've always loved Anne and like loved her so much as a kid because she was similar to me but also cooler than me and identified with her a lot. I was super imaginative like her. I made up games for my friends like when I'm in elementary school when I played Barbies it was like and then a tornado comes like it was always very big or dramatic, like very Anne in that way. Um, And so it was always her, like I read a lot, I wanted to be a teacher, Um, all of these things was what I identified so much with her. I did not identify with how like confident and bold and how she stood up to like other people or probably like her emotional intelligence as a kid but just definitely like her wonder and her imagination and how she would talk to everything and name everything. Like I still do that today. And so that's, um, I guess, so part of me, it was like young Anne and today I still have some of that Anne. Um, But then also listening to your episode with Tabricia, maybe a little, maybe this aspirational, but maybe a little like Miss Stacy. Um, because I, which was interesting to hear your reaction to Miss Stacy, because I loved when Anne said, like, I never thought, which how, 
I don't know how telling of a writing instructor, but I never realized how many issues there were in my composition until I started looking for them. And I feel like your reaction was kind of heartbroken, but my reaction was, yeah, like she could do it on her own, right? And she could see that she is being like, especially Anne and her story is so dramatic. And so she can learn to like scale it down or pare it down and make it better. And the lesson about being direct and clear and specific is what I try and tell my students. Uh, or what you said too about the writing center, that the flowery they are, the more they don't know what they're doing. But that's not always the case. Sometimes they just love it. And that's like Anne, right? She just loves flowery language and being over the top, or she did when she was young. So I feel like new writers, no matter the age, do that. They love like playing. And it's nice to still keep that. But, um, but yeah, so in some ways, I mean, I have the same lessons as her. But also too, I just love that relationship she has that she tries to get them to do things on their own and inspire that kind of curiosity while still being like pretty strict I was surprised that she was like Anne I can't believe you're reading you know like she was pretty I don't know she you know she draws her lines she, and she has her like boundaries in that classroom and sets it up and is strict and I have a lot of rules in my classroom too so that chapter resonated with me a lot um, so I guess both of them in different ways yeah that makes a lot of sense so um, do you have, what's your favorite and mess up? Mine was always the carrots when she oh. smashes the thing over mm-hmm. Gilbert's head. I think that's the biggest moment I've always remembered. Mm-hmm. Um, like I love that he just like says that. I love how ridiculous he was that he pulls her hair and mm-hmm. she is not having it. And that's mm-hmm. those moments where I would have never, ever been an Anne. Yes. Um, I feel like a lot of girls lived vicariously through her in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So probably that's why I was like, I wish I could have gotten that mad or gotten that righteous. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe she shouldn't still hold this grudge. It's been years, Anne, but like, (laughs) um, but still, I think that's also kind of cool how like stubborn and proud and righteous she is. I wouldn't have been in that position and I kind of admire that. Yeah, I admire even when she's not really behaving super maturely or, I don't know, I admire that she wasn't just like, Gilbert's handsome so he can do anything to me, you know, or, oh, he's getting handsomer so I guess I'll forgive him because he's like the cute guy in class that everyone likes. Like, I like that she cares more about herself than than that. Um, Do you have a favorite adult moment or guidance from an adult moment? Yeah, I mean, I love... I loved this question. And I, as I said before too, like in this reading, it's very much about how do the adults react to Anne? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I guess I would want to like go back and like think about that question while I'm rereading it. But overall, maybe I'll, I'll tweak, I will edit your- Oh, please do. <laughs> to just the adult like moments, right? So maybe the lesson is their reaction to Anne. And so whether it was some of your conversations prior about how everyone is commenting on her looks, like good or bad, right? Or you're hideous or wow, you're really beautiful now. You've grown into yourself. Like that's telling so much about the culture and how we treat kids, 
right? And then I saw my nephew and I was like, oh man, I sure do keep saying over and over again to this tiny baby, how adorable. (laughs) I mean, he can't do much, so I can't really praise him for a (laughs) but... But yeah, I mean, that's the first thing we do when, when someone is born. We always comment on how like cute they are and like, I love your little nose and your little eyes. And so that keeps going. So tracing those reactions have been interesting. But I think really just tracing like Marilla and her like sentimentality or lack thereof and um, Miss Josephine and like all of these people and how they react to Anne instead of I guess their lesson for Anne or their lesson about growing up, it's just been really interesting to see how adults react to this child that's different. Yeah. Um, but in all the best ways and in the ways that they should probably be different too. And the ways that they should be young and have that like spirit too. Um, kind of similar to, because I'm a big fan of your podcast, similar <laughs> to your episode with Kai when she talks about like this cultivating a student mind and a beginner's mind, like Anne does that. Mm -hmm. I think she's a nice um, mirror to people to help people do that. Definitely in the book, like she does that to all of the characters. Not one character goes by without kind of questioning her. And if they're questioning her, then that means they're questioning themselves to some extent. Yeah. so yeah, I, I, that's not an answer to that question. No, that's a, be- that's a beautiful think answer. think about it as we read through the last chapters. That's a beautiful answer. You know, they kind of call Anne like a witch. They always are like, oh, this little witch who just this pale <laughs> witch that showed up one day. It's just fascinating because it's like she wasn't socialized the way that they all were. And so she's just this little like alien that gets <laughs> transplanted into their community. And they're like, Oh, like they almost didn't even realize that you could be different. Right. Um, and it's kind of like for her, like people say sometimes where someone has a wound, that's also where they find strength. Like not all the time. It's not like you wouldn't don't it, you wouldn't wish that upon someone or inflict it intentionally or suffer for the sake of it. But some people, it's like her wound is that she was an orphan and she didn't have parents, and her strength came from like the resilience of her spirit and her imagination and her difference and like how much she longs for connection and family and love all become like these strengths of hers. And thinking about Anne about practicing. She's like, well, think about it. If, if this is how I start, like, I'm going to, I'm going to do great. Right. Because now I won't make the same mistake twice, even though she often does. (laughs) But I still like that you know, that's lovely too. It's so human about her, but she's still trying and they're still talking about bringing someone up and practicing those skills over and over again. And it's not going to go perfectly each time, but she is improving and figuring it out. Yeah. Like I always made the same mistake usually a few times, but always from different angles. And I think that's what's so relatable with Anne. It's like, okay, well, let's say, I don't know, like I'm going to cut school so, and I got in trouble. So I won't cut school that way. I'll cut school a different <laughs> yeah. way. And then this way I won't get caught. And then you get caught again. And like, <laughs> whichever it is, right, it's still trial and error. And so, I don't know. I just found it interesting that it was brought up so much in the beginning about how she was brought up. And now I think it's been translated just into mistakes 
because obviously mm-hmm. she's been being brought up in the four or five years that we've known her now. Yeah. And even Mrs. Lind is like impressed by, mm-hmm. at one point she comes to visit and she's impressed by like the cake that Anne made and she looks very put together. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I like that. I think there are things about our personalities that are like chronic conditions that we're just always going to manage. Like you're, you're just not, and that's fine. Like I actually, I like that the book shows her, it's not like she learns a lesson and then she's diff, she's a different person or, oh, now she's not dramatic anymore ever right. or whatever. It's like, we all have certain parts of our personalities that we're going to be just managing and working mm-hmm. with. Probably, I mean, there might be certain things that you kind of come to peace with or really, really over time change. But I just think there's a lot of things that it's just like, oh, just like you said, there's going to be different angles and you're going to think, oh, that's not an issue for me anymore at all. And then something else happens in your life and you're like, ah, all right. (laughs) Actually it is. Um, Just hadn't, hadn't, hadn't seen it from this angle before. So I like that too. So what is something that you'll be taking with you from this reading of Anne? So I know like you've had your previous readings. I'm, I'm curious if there's anything from this one in particular that you'll take with you. I mean, I'm hoping to practice because again, I'm not going to fix it ever, which is <laughs> helpful. So like maybe that actually, maybe this conversation mm-hmm. we're just having right now um, is thinking about things as practice and, yeah. or as like learning and managing because one of mine is like not being as present and not being like as grateful and like pausing. Like I'm always looking to the next thing, which is funny because Anne has that too, mm-hmm. right? She's always looking to the next thing as well, but she has these like beautiful moments when she yeah. can stop and just be like the morning yes. <laughs> over and over again. Um, or just like coming home, like the coming home was the best part. Like there's so many mm-hmm. lines that resonate and that I've definitely felt even some of the same feelings, but I never acknowledge them or pause or reflect. Um, I think throughout the pandemic, I've been trying. Um, but right in the beginning, it started with like when we were really hunkered down and everything was very, very bleak. Mm-hmm. I wrote like a gratitude kind of journal and I would ask my partner at the end of the week too like let's think about the best part of the week and the worst part even though they're all the same right (laughs) um and write them down and I did that for a few weeks and that didn't last because it seemed not sustainable to keep going but I'm sure it could be if I like made it a little smaller you know like just pausing and reflecting in smaller ways um instead of making it a big thing like I I always just kind of jump to make it a big list item instead of just a pause. Right. So, so yeah, I hope that I can get some more Anne in me in that way. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. She's very human and ambitious. Like we see in this chapter, she Mm -hmm. talks, it's very explicit at the end of this chapter. And she has this mystical part of her that can just like tune into the present moment in a really cool way that yeah I also I I really admire the way she's able to look into the future and be like okay knowing that that's coming up I'm gonna really be present with this right now because that is like the hardest thing ever for me anyway so let's get into the chapter okay this chapter made me cry other chapters have made me tear up but I actually like full-on cried reading 
the beginning of the chapter. Um, and I, it's interesting how she put it. At, I like, I feel like I said this about another chapter, but she put Anne's departure from Green Gables in the beginning of the chapter, which I think was smart because then it's like, it's not as much of a hard stop. It's not an ending like, oh, she's leaving Green Gables now. Yeah. It's more like, you know, she does leave to go to Queens. Mm-hmm. Um, but we even learn like she's going back to Green Gables next Friday. Yeah. And I, I like it because like to me, when I went away to college, I was, I was only going an hour from home and I was just like, well, this is it. I guess I'll never see my family again. Like, yeah. I don't know what, did you feel that way? I wrote that in my notes for this chapter. Okay. <laughs> um, for specifically when they're like, when she cries, she has that tearful goodbye with Diana. Mm-hmm. And my friends and I in the parking lot of Applebee's <laughs> were a mess. We're all New Jersey kids. So like maybe one person went to Pennsylvania, right? <laughs> we're all, and still Pennsylvania, you know, like, we're all still staying in the tri-state area for the most part. And some of us were like half an hour away from each other. Mm-hmm. And it was the most dramatic goodbye as we were all saying like goodbye. And then, yeah, we probably saw each other like two weeks later for my friend's birthday because of the birthdays <laughs> in September. So it was, yeah, just, it was, this is the end Mm-hmm. Um, in that way I think I had that tearful goodbye with my friends but then when I got to college had that very like she said that lonesomeness yeah. um, the first agony I loved that phrasing the first agony of homesickness um, I had that for a month at yes yes and so and that was very much for like my home and my family and even though I always got along with my family, I still didn't think like I would be homesick for them. And again, an hour away. Mm-hmm. So dramatic of me. So and romantic of me to like have that feeling. But it did really resonate reading that chapter and thinking about that time. Yeah, I think that it's, a, it's I think it's worth acknowledging that this is a transition and it is a change and it is going to change your day-to-day life and things will change and you don't necessarily know how they're going to change. Like looking back, we can go, oh, you know, I saw them plenty and I didn't end up changing completely as a person or we didn't lose our friendship. But especially when you're younger and you don't have the experience, like you've never left home like that before. You've never been apart from your friends like that. Like so many friends, if you, if you went to the same school, you saw them like every day. And Mm -hmm. then maybe also on the weekends too, like they were your people. And now it's like, who am I going to have lunch with? Like, (laughs) you know, and, and that, yes, that lonesome feeling. I mean, the first thing I actually thought of reading the chapter was when my older sister went to college for the, like the first time she left and she went to school in Texas. So she was really far away. (laughs) And I just was like, I really didn't know with her if she would come back to New Jersey because she was kind of like peace. Like, and she did come, like, I think even after her freshman year, like she ended up, she got an apartment in Texas. She didn't come back for breaks. Like she would come home for Christmas, but not like all winter, all summer or whatever. So I just remember saying goodbye to her and I just then like went and took a shower and just cried in the shower. Like, <laughs> um, like all of that came back to me. And I was, when Marilla's just crying into her pillow, I was like, I know that 
feeling because you just don't know like what if Anne what if this is the beginning even if it's kind of a slow what if this is the beginning of like her really taking off and never really coming back to Avonlea or just slowly kind of getting farther and farther away and and this is it yeah my my first impressions of like the first two pages was very much actually thinking about my mom when I went to college yeah um my mom she is not cold and severe (laughs) but she is not as like sentimental or like Mm -hmm. outwardly as like affectionate like I mean pre-COVID right we didn't always like hug and kiss yeah not doing it now but like (laughs) always hug and kiss hello you know it's not like every time we hang up the phone we say I love you like but I still know all of that right she's still very sweet and we're very close in lots of ways but so I guess she's the modern version, maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> like a less severe, less kind of version of that, um, or I guess warmer version of that. And I remember when my parents dropped me off and they were like going down the hallway, like right, or waving goodbye. And I'm still in that excited phase. I think it left by that night, but like I was excited to go exploring with like my roommate around campus. And I saw my mom like tearing up mm. and I was like floored. Like she cries. <laughs> like I've never, I'm sure I had seen her cry like previously, but never like over me. Right. Like never over like that type of sentimental kind of reason. Yeah. And so like seeing Marilla's response, like when Marilla cries over her recitation, mm-hmm. right. No, I wasn't crying over your piece <laughs> because she doesn't want to be like, with that poetry stuff which that paragraph is beautiful <laughs> well because you like she wasn't she was right. she wasn't really she was thinking about right. Anne being a little girl right yeah she says um I was wishing you could have stayed a little girl even with all your queer ways you got a negger right you got a <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> you've grown up now um and you're going away and you look so tall and stylish and so so different all together in that dress as if you didn't belong in Avonlea and I just got lonesome thinking it all over. Like, I can't believe she says that out loud, right? Yeah. We probably would have heard her think that before. So it's beautiful that she says that. Um, and my mom didn't say any of that, but that's like what those tears were that I saw and was like shocked over. So it was interesting too, like Anne is shocked and she's like, Marilla, like what? And <laughs> she's like, oh, well, you're making it harder for me to go away which in this sense is actually pretty sad because I knew my mom loved me, you know, mm-hmm. with those, those specific words. And like, Anne is not always sure because Marilla is so, so very closed off. Um, but yeah, the, those first two pages, I was just thinking about me going to college and my mom and that relationship. And even with Matthew too, like my dad didn't cry. He didn't have suspicious moisture, I don't think. <laughs> um, but my dad is very sentimental and he says like, I love you and all that stuff all the time. Um, and he'll be more outwardly like my baby and remember when you were little and I'm like, get over it. <laughs> so even though obviously Matthew's not that way, he is the more you know, like sweet and like sentimental one too. So I just seeing them like juxtaposed in those first two pages too and their responses, I just like saw my parents sending me off to college. Yeah. And was then also actually very grateful for you or the universe to give me this chapter 
because I think as a instructor, I very much think about how intimidating classes are. Mm -hmm. And I give these spiels in the beginning all the time about like, this is hard and like, you will have, you know, you will adjust and we're going to learn it together. And like, I just gave that speech on Friday. Um, someone, I mean, it's in Zoom, so it's like so sad now, but someone in the chat wrote, yeah, this text was kind of hard. I mean, I'm giving her voice like it was slow and like quiet. <laughs> I have no idea how she sounded. This text was hard. <laughs> but it kind of made me think that she was nervous to say that. And I just like, I just like stopped and then I repeated it 50,000 times that day. I'm like, no, 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 um, Danielle, it's very hard. <laughs> I just said to everyone, I'm like, let's pause and say, this is very hard. I'm asking you to do something that is very hard and challenging, not asking you to do it alone, but like, it is hard. And like, that's why you're here. You're here in college, not because you know everything, but because we're like here to learn. Right. And so things are going to be hard and we're going to learn how to ask for help. And we're going to like learn how to do all these things. We're going to learn different tips and tricks that work for you or don't work for you because learning that stuff's important. But so I've always known that, right? Because I've been teaching for a very long time. I always do that. But I also forget about just like missing your mom or missing yeah. your guardian or missing whomever you left behind, even if it is a friend 20 minutes away. Yeah. Right? Like, um, I forget, I think, about those pieces because now I've been so far removed from the student side. Like I get, or maybe not, the, maybe student is the wrong word, but like the college citizen, you know, like the mm. person there, the person transitioning versus the actual student. Like I'm always thinking about student issues. Right. Like you're going to be stressed and burnt out. So let's write, like go for a walk or like, let's talk about different ways to manage stress. But it's always kind of related to school, not all these other bigger emotional baggage things. Right. I mean, obviously COVID stuff comes up now. So right. I will talk about grappling with the world and like the civil unrest that we have in our country and all this like political turmoil too, but not so much as the basics of like, maybe you miss your mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely was so homesick the whole first week. I think I cried myself to sleep like the first couple nights. I one of the most and things I think I did was I was feeling really lonely and just like oversaturated with meeting new people and orienting and <laughs> leave your door open and roommate and like all that stuff. And I just went and I like found a tree really far from everything, like this big blooming magnolia tree. And I just sat in it for a while. <laughs> Like it was, it's one of my best memories from that first week was like sitting in this tree by myself with like my French homework or something like literally kind of hidden by all the blossoms. Oh, carving out a space for yourself to get away. Yeah. And it was outside. It was in a beautiful, you know, blossoming tree and it was a really nice September day, probably kind of like today. Mm -hmm. And, um, I actually kind of want to drive by cause I live right down the street from my college and see if that tree is blooming right now. Then you um, sit in it. Next I could go sit in it. You should just go sit in it. I'll just lice all it first. No, I'm kidding. I mean, tree, um, you'll be yeah, okay. Trees are fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was very homesick. And, and it is so lonely to be like Anne goes into the classroom and there's 50 people that she doesn't know except Gilbert, yeah. <laughs> which is nice because like I literally didn't know a single person 
um, even though I wasn't that far from home. But, and she has her friends at least take in other classes, but they're there, which is nice. But I know that feeling of like getting back to this room that's like, what is this place? And it's kind of slightly depressing, like yeah. dorm room cinder block walls are kind yeah. of, the, you know, she has like the shabby wallpaper or whatever. And it's just like, this isn't my home. Okay. <laughs> um, was there anything else from that beginning part? From that beginning part, I did like when she then said the after Marla cries, she says, I'm not a bit changed, not really. I'm only just pruned down and branched out. The real me back here is just the same. It won't, made a, it won't make a bit of difference where I go or how much I change outwardly at heart. I should always be your little Anne. We'll love you and Matthew and dear Green Gables more and better every day of her life. Which one, I really liked that as a sentiment that she says back to Marilla. Mm-hmm. But I also thought it was interesting in contrast to that fear that they had a few chapters ago about like growing up mm-hmm. and being set in stone when you're 20. Like, yeah. you will still be this person, right? Like, you'll still be managing your, your vanity. You'll still be managing mm-hmm. your imagination and your temper. And you'll still be this person, but you're also not set in stone and how... I don't know how confusing that we are both things at the same time, right? You're yes. still always growing and evolving and changing, but she knows that she's still her. So I don't know, her confidence there is just interesting juxtaposed with the anxiety her and Diana had about growing up. And right, about not growing up right, not yeah. setting the right habits or the right character. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's something, she's talking about some sort of essence of her. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like the way that Marilla is responding, it almost feels like because Marilla has never felt like she could express this stuff. Well, I shouldn't say never before because I I don't actually know that. But it seems like at least for a long time, she hasn't. I think in the book, actually, maybe sometimes she does say like she's never done this before. (laughs) I almost feel like this is like a little girl part of Marilla that's coming up. Like when she's saying, I feel lonesome, like you're so different. And in that dress, you almost look like you don't belong here. And I feel so lonesome in your, and like, there is like real adult sadness of just like, oh, like my child is growing up. But like, there's something about her saying like, you look like you don't belong here. And there's just something to me that just feels like there's like a little girl part of Marilla that is so scared of, being left and um, of losing Anne completely and that catastrophizing part of Marilla's head that's just like this is it forever you know like which is a kind of more childlike thing to not be able like Matthew he's a little wet around the eyes but he's also the one who has said to Marilla in the past like she'll come back every winter Mm -hmm. Um, he's able to be like he can still be sad because he's gonna miss her but there's the part of him that knows she's coming back And I feel like there's like some wounded part of Marilla or some like child part that's like, are you coming back? (laughs) Like, so, and then Anne is actually able because she's matured in a certain way and she has been able to express herself to give Marilla the reassurance that a child would want, like, you know, I'm only, I'm going to love you more every day. Like, that's almost something that I feel like children sometimes are like mom and dad, like, as I get older, if I'm a rebellious teenager, like, oh, are you still going to love me now? Are you still going to love me now? And Anne's actually saying, I'm going to love you more every day. Like, that's so beautiful because yeah, I think the assumption might be like, oh, she's going to forget about us. She's going to 
she's not gonna like green gables so much once she sees like the big city or whatever you know well i think to her i have two things on that one about marilla one about Anne. so make sure i say my marilla thing (laughs) um but i think i guess maybe like changing what i said before right that or that Anne can be more confident when she is trying to comfort someone else Mm. right and like we as humans are usually that way yeah that's true I can give you the best advice Mm -hmm. and then the next day I could do all the things I told you not to do (laughs) um that advice of like be your own like best friend right and like you wouldn't talk that way to you like so Anne is doing that very much so and so that in a lot of ways I think Marilla being vulnerable lets Anne get more confident, right? Mm-hmm. And she kind of teeters back and forth. And she usually does that with her friends. If someone else is kind of panicking, then she maybe won't, even if inwardly she is. Um, but I think I hadn't thought about when you said, too, about Marilla being like a little girl. It's more of that, I want to know her backstory. Because yeah. she said, you don't belong in Avonlea. And to me, that's like that small town girl who never left. And yeah. else did. Yes. Right. So if she has like fears or things like the city is like, I don't think she's ever said this word, but like poppycock, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. That type of view. It's because someone definitely left you mm-hmm. <laughs> or someone had like big dreams and was also like smart, like Anne and left mm-hmm. and you decided not to, I would assume, or circumstantially had to stay. Mm-hmm. Right? So then you kind of got left behind. It does seem like it's been interesting to hear about Marilla and Matthew too. And like, well, I think you said in one of the chapters, like, what did their parents do to that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like hard work and this hard life on a farm. And maybe their parents just left early, whether that was like death or something else. But it just seems that they've had to grapple with that. Yeah. And Matthew is much more content in it. And Marilla just tries to be and isn't. Yeah. She says here, I don't have the words to express it. Yeah. That paragraph was really beautiful too, that she wished she could speak like Anne and figure out her emotions and thoughts. Um, Like you said, in that role reversal that Anne's kind of parenting there. And you Mm -hmm. can tell she's like longing for that. But then she hugs her. So she's like, that's all I can give. And like, I feel like that's huge. Yes. It's a huge thing for Marilla to give anyway. Um, at least the beginning of the book, Marilla, I couldn't have pictured that. So she's grown in so many ways, even though she doesn't have the words. Like not everyone needs the words. Right. Um, it's usually more in action than words. Yeah. Yeah, that was the part that made me cry so hard. <laughs> that whole interaction. I was just like, oh. Um, so then let's keep going. Let's go to the next thing. Just one more thing kind of from that. I really like Matthew's reaction. He walks outside by himself mm-hmm. and he is so like proud of Anne for that little speech yeah. because he says, oh, yeah. and even for himself, mm-hmm. because he's like, I guess putting my oar in didn't do much harm. After all, she's smart and pretty and loving too, which is better than all the rest. She's been a blessing to us and there never was a luckier mistake than what Mrs. Spencer did. If it was luck, I don't believe it was any such thing. It was Providence because the Almighty saw we needed her, I reckon. And I guess I didn't realize that he does say that, that he walks away. He says that to himself. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought because he said us that he was saying that to Marilla. And so that is a very different, that is a very different quote now. Mm. 
that he like walked away and like it says he muttered. Yeah. I think he was just kind of talking to himself. And I love that the fact that she is loving is what's ultimately like the best part and kind of what sets her apart from other people. It's like, it's great that she's smart. It's great that she's pretty, but she's also loving. And like, that is the thing that will ultimately serve her for her whole life. Like when she gets older, if she keeps that like loving heart, she'll keep connecting to people. It'll keep like her spirit alive. And, um, and I just love that Matthew has this kind of spiritual moment of like, oh, this was meant to be like, we needed her. And it's so beautiful. Yeah, they're always the cutest. They're just, you know, just taken back. Like anything he then, he says here or somewhere else, right, where they're thinking back to that first day. Mm-hmm. Right, so like that first drive. And that scene always sticks with me. Again, kind of from the miniseries, but in the reading of the book too, of just him driving with her yeah. and, oh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's just talking for 10 hours. And clearly how lonesome he's been, right? Mm-hmm. And so how if he's like someone who's sentimental and he's been living with Marilla and hasn't talked to any other women because he's terrified of them <laughs> because of patriarchy. But, like, but there's something really beautiful about him noting the loving thing too because that's yeah. something that he wants, right? And then needed in his life that Anne brought. Because yeah have that many relationships and him and Marilla weren't very chatty um and couldn't then open each other up because they probably just knew each other yeah well and fell into the same patterns over and over again I also think it's funny that seeing Gilbert there for her in the class because we we talked a bit about you know like her homesickness too (laughs) yeah um you know she feels that loneliness but she also has ambition. Like she decides to take the harder class, like getting the teacher's license in one year instead of two. She's not content to just like do the minimum or what's quote unquote average or typical. She's like gunning. And then she feels like she having the competition of Gilbert there is so motivating to her. And, but also she's like, Oh, he has a nice chin. So there's like a little crack in her armor. <laughs> but I loved it because it was such a quick line and it was a splendid chin. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but then it just passes her by, right? I never noticed. I do wish Jane, like, <laughs> Jane and Ruby were here too. And then she just kind of keeps going. Like, yeah, almost like she's not, she doesn't even want to like, re- like notice what she's noticing. <laughs> And so I love that. I love seeing her mind, especially with Gilbert and like all the things she does and doesn't want to say or do. But yeah, how his presence is just still a comfort. Mm-hmm. In, but also in- like she just really thrives on that. It's like with the recitation, she saw him in the crowd and she was like, oh, he's taunting me. I'm going to do a really good job. And that's how she does it. It's like, I kind of like though how it shows that these things that we see as vices can have good like you can channel them for good you have to keep an eye on it I think and not get like eaten eaten up by it but she does manage to take that and channel it into motivation so like that's kind of cool yeah (laughs) most of mine I do which is why I feel like a lot of my vices kind of go because it's like competitive and productive and like those things Mm -hmm. so they look good in a lot of ways but it still takes over in a lot of ways too 
So I can kind of get away with it more if my vice is doing everything, you know, as someone else's vice is drinking everything. Right, right. right. Or not doing everything, like avoiding everything. Right. So it is, um, it's interesting too about, and I, I think as I get older, notice some of that stuff is that if some things in my personality, they're just more societally acceptable. Mm. So it doesn't mean that I'm better at things. It just means like things are a little easier for me because I was kind of set that way. Like I didn't even do, you know, like (laughs) a morning person, like my sister is not. And so comparing like the two of us, like we're very, very different people, Um, like raised in the same household, but super different. And so Right. I'm going to like wake up and I'm going to get all my things done. And I don't understand how my sister can't. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just like, I was set up that way. And that, that makes things easier for me. Cause like mm-hmm. society is set up that way. Yeah. I love how Anne is having this really sad moment where she's crying and she's like, don't cry. It's weak. You know, which is again, like messaging that we get about crying being weak after you know that first class and she's like trying to help to trying to tell herself to be strong and then she's so excited when Josie Pye shows up (laughs) and then we just get this moment of comic relief where like of course Josie Pye is just the worst like Anne you shouldn't cry like like Anne is very sensitive she's feeling this transition very deeply she's feeling her emotions she's expressing them and Josie's like, oh, you're one of those people who uh, gets homesick. I'm not. <laughs> like, what is she actually? Oh, my God. She is. Because every time she talks in this book about hating Josie Pye, I'm always like, why again? Right. This passage or like, oh. <laughs> I feel like Montgomery just kind of expects us to infer certain things. Like, Josie Pye's just that girl in class. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because we don't get that much of other characters. We don't get like that much dialogue or that much. It's just enough here and there to be like, she's that kid who just makes you feel really, who's like, you're so sensitive, you know, like buck up. Cause she's like, some people have so little self-control in that respect. I have no intention of being homesick. Um, I can tell you, I think it's like the, the wording there too, like, Montgomery's word choice to create that tone. Mm-hmm. I suppose you're homesick, yes. which is such a bitchier way. <laughs> I suppose you're homesick. <laughs> and same with I can tell you. Like, it's just. And this is where I think you, you referenced this before. She says, town's too jolly after that pokey old Avonlea. Mm. I feel like, or maybe you said something else, but. Um... I feel like that's what Marilla is afraid of Anne being. And Matthew knows, no, she's not that kid. She is really loving. And like, I'm so proud of her because she's not Josie Pye, (laughs) you know? Not in a, I feel like, true, right? Yes, because she's loving. We've also seen her go off to the city and not really love it, right? Right. She's going, but she never wants to be like a city girl. Um, So that's already been established in this book. And she's probably said that out loud, right? I think she did. We hear yeah. that, like, her telling Marilla and Matthew about it. Um, and so, like, Matthew is aware and is listening to that, but Marilla's anxiety is because she's probably known a lot of Josie Pies and definitely a lot of people who say Avonlea is not a big deal. I mean, mm-hmm. Rachel says that stuff about Green Gables. Right. You know, like, they have this view of them anyway. So, yeah, she's just... 
She's just awful. <laughs> I wanted to say the passage you mentioned about I won't cry. It's silly. Mm-hmm. Yes, we get messages about that all the time, but I thought that was really interesting that Anne said that because mm-hmm. years back she was like, I just cried it out. And That's now true. I'm great. Like that's true. Wonderful how a good cry can do that. Like she's already expressed how good she is at her emotions and how she knows to cry. And I was surprised by that line when she says, I won't cry. Yes. I don't know if now that is this growing up, like because I'm 16, I can't cry. Or because I'm supposed to love school. Cause that's how I felt was mm. I've all I wanted was to go mm. to college and to go to this college. And why am I still sad? Right after the first week, I was like, why is it still? The more that she becomes an adult, the price of that, I think, is that it's hard to keep that part of you that is like so unguarded and able to process and express. Like, I feel like it's one of those moments where it's like, she feels like she has to get to be strong to get through this experience too, Mm -hmm. you know, like she is lonely. She is kind of overwhelmed. Like it is going to be really hard work. She doesn't know anyone in class except Gilbert, who is a whole, you know, other story. And so I feel like, yeah, it's just watching her now grapple with more of this adult stuff, like adult expectations and responsibility. It has to happen. It's not a bad thing. It's part of growing up, but it's also hard. Yeah. To watch her tell herself these things now that are like, crying's weak I shouldn't like I, I should hold it in I, I guess also maybe though that's partially her trying to summon like her inner parent adult figure because she doesn't have Marilla there saying all right it's time to stop crying get up do the dishes you know what yeah. I mean because she is so she could she could indulge her feelings if left unchecked by mm-hmm. Marilla you know maybe she would get more swallowed up by those feelings so maybe that is her kind of trying to like summon her inner marilla because she's not there anymore i mean but then by the end of the paragraph she says i don't want to cheer up it's nicer to be so marilla said that too when matthew was telling her to cheer up about Anne Mm -hmm. leaving and marilla was like don't comfort me you know which Um, that was very Anne of marilla yeah so then she slips back to like her regular self yes because a lot of times, right, you should be allowed to just, like, feel miserable and then yeah, eventually get up and do the dishes or, like, whatever. But you first need to have that good cry like she's expressed before. Mm-hmm. Which is a very, like, smart, like, emotional intelligence that she's always shown. Um, and then it says, like, a flood of tears would have come. Like, she would have done it. Right. If not for this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, what is interesting... I think we, we've touched on this, but just explicitly in this passage, it's not just that she misses actually more than anything. It's not just that she misses like Diana. It's being in town. It's being away from the landscape, I think, of Avonlea and Green Gables. Like she's thinking about her, her white room, which in the previous chapter, we learn a lot more about how beautiful she's made that room and how homey it is and how much it reflects her and who she is. And then she's thinking about the garden and how green it is and moonlight falling on the orchard and the brook. So it's like nature is such a, it just brings her soul to life so much, which I think is something that you can just tell was the case for Montgomery. And I think it's just an, an interesting thing about people living in towns and cities like 
there's something people have to find a way to like get in, you know, they have to find their central park or whatever, or the high line or, you know, ways to like experience some greenery and some fresh air and some flowering plants and things like that, because like, it's like important for your soul. And she's like missing that already too. Yeah. It's beautiful. And then Jane also says the same kind of thing. Like, um, they, Jane and right Ruby come. And so then Josie leaves, which is lovely. And (laughs) they, and she says like, Oh, have you been crying? Like, please own up to it so that I can have my self-respect back. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Nice. Because like you said too, like when you went to school, you didn't have those people. So it was nice that they were all together because they can feel kind of lonely and then still, um, you know, have that moment. And I, I think a very vulnerable moment, I guess maybe if Anne didn't look like she was crying, they probably wouldn't have said right. that. Cause I don't think I talked about it that much with other people at college. Yeah. Um, I did, I think I texted a friend on the weekend and then they drove up cause I didn't have a car or a license. Mm-hmm. So like, they drove up and like picked me up that first weekend. So mm-hmm. I went home, but I, wasn't- I went home the first weekend too. <laughs> And I had said I wasn't going to. (laughs) But I think I still wasn't like expressing it probably like to my roommate, like that probably could have been like bonding quicker. And, you know, you just pretend that you're fine. And I certainly didn't show that I was sad. I don't know how much I like cried, but I definitely didn't sleep and like wasn't doing well and, Mm -hmm. and didn't really like show that to anybody. So what was it? They got caught. <laughs> what was it for you that you felt the most that you were missing? Could you pinpoint it, or was it just a general feeling? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe I could have at the time, but the thing that I just remember is just that I couldn't sleep. Mm. I didn't like the food, which <laughs> fair, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm a family of like great cooks, so yeah. I beautiful home-cooked meals that either my dad or my mom prepared to cafeteria food. So I wasn't really eating. I wasn't sleeping. There was construction going on too. So like not even in an emotional sense, but like Mm -hmm. there was construction right outside. The light came streaming in. So I think that first weekend I bought like horribly ugly, but very thick curtains. (laughs) So to fix some of that. And so a lot of that started to get better, but I was still sad. And that's why I was frustrated. It was like, why am I sad? Um, but yeah, I don't think it was like, definitely wasn't like the landscape or the town or anything. But that like is that. your environment. Like the food, you know, the literal, like your physical comfort, what you're eating and the light coming in and like just the new environment that your body isn't used to. I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that is a huge part of it for Anne. And it's funny also about the food because she and the girls from Avonlea are like eating this cake that she brought and they're like, Oh, it has that like Avonlea taste. And I like, there's just something so sweet about picturing these like country girls. They've been away from home for like a day maybe. (laughs) And they're like, Oh, it just tastes like home, you know? But yeah. And I think environments and thinking about that, I hadn't really thought about it in that way of like that she is missing like the beautiful home. And I think too, I mean, my home was lovely, but like very suburban. So mm-hmm. um, I never, I, since I couldn't identify, right. I hadn't like picked up on that as much. I just felt like I'd probably say anything like that about my home, right. About mm-hmm. any little bookcase or my comforter or my pillow or whatever it was, because it was just my 
home and my like space and that environment there too. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, once I got like, once I fixed the light and I started eating the food, I was still sad. And that like yeah. was annoying that right. like, not, like I fixed the like bodily. Right. <laughs> so like, why aren't I better now? And right. Very much that we're just kind of told that we're just bodily concerns, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that if you have all those things together, you're together. And that's definitely not right. the case. It was, it was your heart. Something yeah. in your heart was just yeah. sad. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, the only reason I, after the first week pepped up a lot was because I met the guy who became my boyfriend and I was just like obsessed with that. <laughs> so I just totally transferred my affections and was like, you, I will make you my attachment oh. here. So I got very swept up in like that and making just a couple of new friends. But I don't know how much I really went home after the first weekend once I met someone and was just like, I'm in love. I'm in love. <laughs> so that's how I differ from Anne. I would have been like, Gilbert, it's you and me now. It's done. We're good. I love yep. your chance to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, mine, I think I started, I think mine took a month because that's how long it took to get close to my roommate and these two other girls in the building who felt like home to me, like mm -hmm. they felt like my home friends. Um, and so like once we started hanging out with them, I was okay. So it was like mm -hmm. finding people yes. that felt like home. Right. And then everything else was fine and I loved college. So it was only yeah. like a small little blip. Um, I mean, I loved it so much I never left, right? I'm still teaching. I still <laughs> yeah the what college can like bring in these types of experiences and conversations and that's exciting that you know for them to find friends and that's what I think I'm most sad about now in this like pandemic is like I just hope they find friends like no <clears throat> and so many of my classes were were zooming and so sometimes I'll just make breakout rooms and not check in and I'm just hoping there's like <laughs> <laughs> not doing the assignment, you know, like, yeah, I mean, not silently. If they're either better be working or right. they better be talking to each other. Yeah. I was thinking back to like middle school and I just remember I had such a hard time like emotionally with the transition into middle school. Like I, academically I did fine, but like the day that I, uh, the guidance counselor's office kept calling me down at first period and I was late like every day because I didn't want to go and like my sister kept being like the guidance office keeps calling you down at first period and you're not there and I thought I was like in trouble and then they called me down to be like you're student of the month and I was like oh again like things can appear okay I mean they knew obviously I was like late and stuff things can appear okay on the outside and, like academically I was doing fine but I felt so lonely and I just remember every year telling myself, like, if I don't feel better by Halloween, I will ask my parents if I can be homeschooled. And I had friends too, like, but I didn't have like, especially in sixth grade, I really didn't have like, I felt like I was really trying to like tag along with people that I didn't feel like really, really liked me, you know? And it's so painful to be like lonely like that and to not know how to make those connections. And I just remember just my little bit of like and type wisdom was like, okay, changes are always hard for you. You usually feel better by like Halloween. So just make it through till then. And if you don't feel better, ask if you can be homeschooled. But I always felt better. Like it got more comfortable. Because so, of October. 
because October because we live in a world with Octobers and they're great. <laughs> um, okay, I want to talk about Anne's ambition. Yes, I had that highlighted too. She finds out about the scholarship, and you and I can really relate to this, of course, because it's a scholarship for people studying English literature. And I love how she describes, what does she say? She says, the Avery scholarship was in English and Anne felt that here her foot was on her native heath. Like English literature is her jam. Like she's good at all of the subjects clearly, but that's really like her thing is how I took that. And she hears about it and, and immediately she's just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get this scholarship. I'm going to go study at, um, Redmond. Redmond. Thank you. And she's got these ambitions for herself. And she says, or she thinks to herself, wouldn't Matthew be proud if I got to be a BA? She always thinks of Matthew. It's so interesting. She always wants to make Matthew proud. And then, oh, it's delightful to have ambitions. I'm so glad I have such a lot. And there never seems to be any end to them. That's the best of it. Just as soon as you attain to one ambition, you see another one glittering higher up still. It does make life so interesting. I highlighted that part because I loved what she said about ambition. And I felt very similar to her. And again, I think as a kid, this is what resonated with me. And as an adult, it like resonates in a lot of ways too, that I, and I don't think I'm like super ambitious. Like I don't want to keep finding more rungs to like climb on a ladder. Um, I've like always wanted to be this one thing and kind of once I found it, just stayed. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But even with that, I think a few years back in my career, I found, oh, there's other ways to like be ambitious in it without, because I don't want to leave, right? I like where I'm at. Um, there's other ways to find this. And I think I had a similar moment to Anne of like, isn't that nice that I could still work on this other thing and I could still find another like passion or interest or ambition to keep driving you forward. Because otherwise, it's everything is like the same and boring. Mm -hmm. Similar to again, what Kai said. I had my students listen to your podcast, so <laughs> talking about it and referencing it, so it's been on my mind. My students really liked from her podcast, and we talked about that too. About if you're doing it perfectly, right, you're not learning anything, right? So what is the point of that? If you're doing the same thing over and over, if or if you're doing anything perfectly, that means you're doing it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. and so I think that's also part of her ambition too, is that she did that one thing really great, right? She did her exam great. Now she's going to do this probably great. Like <laughs> she's going to keep going and being great. <laughs> um, and even, you know, if she doesn't get all of the things on her list, she's still going to like keep going and have those ambitions because if she stopped, then, you know, she's just going to be perfect at it. And that's boring. And that is really boring to Anne. Right. Yeah. She's so curious about new things that even if she gets kind of anxious or scared about passing the exam or whatever, she's still more interested in doing it and yeah. going for it. And I think it seems like, you know, there are a lot of people who say it's so important to have something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. And I think Anne, having been that orphan that was constantly in a dream world and imagining things and imagining a better future for herself because her circumstances were so painful, she has kept that alive for herself, that ability to like see something in the future and be like, oh yeah, I'm going to go for that. Um, 
and now she can channel it in a different way. It's not like pure survival. It's like she has her survival needs now mm-hmm. and now she can kind of dream even bigger and like in different ways of like, what do I want my life to look like and be intentional about crafting it as opposed to just like getting out of a really bad situation. Which I also think is interesting that how she, like she blushes over thinking about like wanting the medal, right? That they're like, you're going to try for that way. And the chapter about the pass list mm-hmm. talks over and over again about how she's not going to think about it, which obviously mm-hmm. means you're thinking about it, right? So yeah. and I'm not going to wish for being first. Um, but like clearly, yes, you are. That's all you're thinking about. Yeah. And so it's always like fun to see how she grapples with that because she'll sound so wise in this line, right? About ambition and, you know, this concept of not perfectionism, but to keep going further and to like dream. But in all the other chapters, she's like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to dream of this thing. Right, right. Or she's not going to admit to other people. But also I think to herself because she keeps saying that's true. I'm not going to think about it. Right. She like plays tricks with herself. Yes. Yeah. Which we all do. And so it's, again, it's another reason why she's so relatable to hear. Like, I don't think I'm a superstitious person. And I still say that word, like, I don't want to jinx it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All the time. <laughs> so we're always trying to play. Yes. Um, or like, at least I am constantly to not get my hopes up, to not be disappointed, um, and to still have those things, right? So you're not that like character in a story who has no goals intentionally, so they're never disappointed, right? Mm-hmm. Like every rom com ever. Of yeah. yes. If I have no relationship, like all those characters, it's like a big trope or archetype that we see over and over. Yes. So it's this balance of you're not that person because that person's also not as realistic. Mm-hmm. It's more so like this and this teetering between the two of when I'm going to wish for something and like how much I'm going to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Not, there's definitely moments throughout my different ambitions that I was like, well, I'm not going to tell anyone this time, but I'm yes. going to at school and then it'll work out. And then I usually break and tell people and then it didn't work out. <laughs> you know? yeah. And so you're blaming all these weird circumstances because you don't want to just be like, nope, I just failed at something and that's all. <laughs> Yeah. And I hoped for it. It's like, we want to, we want to circumvent embarrassment and disappointment by just not admitting to ourselves or to other people Mm -hmm. um, that we have hope for something, that we want something. Um, Or we feel like guilty when we get the things. Yeah. Well, then this must be going bad soon. Mm -hmm. How is it this good right now? Yeah all of those different thoughts at various points um, yeah and yeah so I just I love her love I Anne. love her too I love Anne I love you I love talking about Anne with you wow the whole package it's been a great Sunday afternoon back at you <laughs> thank you for talking about it with me and I hope that um maybe there's something from this that when you're teaching this week, you'll be like, Ooh, I'm having an and moment. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. I really, I appreciate you having me on, especially for this chapter, but also just to like take this moment and even be that student again, like writing up a bunch of notes and rereading a chapter and like thinking deeply about it instead of just like reading for pure like entertainment or just too fast. Effort. 
either one. Yeah. It's nice to have a little bit of both because it's still entertaining, right? It's still entertaining yeah. to like dive deeply into these topics. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for your attention to it. I, that's been one of the fun things for me about doing this podcast is just it's been a long, it's been seven years or whatever since I was an English student, like Anne's just going into it. And I do, I really miss that. Yeah. Um, and it's really fun. So thanks for playing with me. <laughs> Anytime.